Father, I thank you this morning, Lord, that your word is truth and that your word is life, Lord. And your words that you speak to us is spirit and life. And so, Father, I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you will just speak to us through this word this morning. Lord, I pray that just as you can do only in your power, that you will take this word and divide it up into a hundred pieces so every one of us can receive what you have for us today. And I pray that every ear will hear and every heart will receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. Well, the word that I felt like the Lord wanted us to talk around today is our great commission. You can't see the picture very well, but has anyone ever watched The Chosen? This new series called The Chosen. Okay. If you just hear this today, go and watch it. It's a new TV series. We'll send a link on the on the WhatsApp news group, if you're on the WhatsApp news group, it's incredible. It's about Jesus' journey with some of his disciples up until the point of his crucifixion. But it focuses a lot on his interaction with his disciples. So it really, I just thought it was really appropriate. I loved it. It's very biblical. It's based on the word of God. And um, you can watch it for free on YouTube. It's called The Chosen. And I actually, I think it came out just as the lockdown started. So I binge-watched an entire weekend of The Chosen. <laughs> and this was before the fast, so we had lots of snacks. And, um, but really, in this time of fasting, both Johannes and I have really felt like the Lord have been speaking to us about this idea of disciples. We believe that we are disciples of Jesus. Amen. But disciples are called to make more disciples. That is what the Bible calls the Great Commission. Does anyone know the Great Commission? Where in the Bible does it speak of the Great Commission? Does anyone know? I was by Skrifne. But there's one particular scripture where they use the heading, the Great Commission. Matthew. Which chapter? Which verse? Just testing you on this fine morning. Someone has already sneaked a peek at the version notes. Awesome. No, you are correct. You are correct that it is spoken about all through Scripture. Because sometimes people will say, oh, well, the Great Commission, you know, it's only mentioned in one part of the Bible. Well, no, if you follow Jesus' teaching... And you follow Jesus' instructions to his disciples, you'll see that he spoke about it many times. But Johannes and I have really, both of us individually, the Lord has started to speak about this idea of disciples. And you know, we are really trusting the Lord. We had a word from God to come to Namibia. We had a word from God to plant the church. But I don't think either one of us feel that Vintuk just needs another church. I mean, we had many people when we came and they heard what we were doing as we were trying to meet people and trying to get people to buy into the vision. They were like, do you really believe Vintic needs another church? And what I've come to realize in the year and a half that we've lived here since we moved from Cape Town, Johannes is a born Namibian, but I'm born in Cape Town, so I'm still adjusting <laughs> to the dust in his son. But we, we really feel that God is not looking for another church. And, and hear my heart in this. He's not looking for another church where we just come on a Sunday and we attend. We drink amazing coffee. We sing beautiful songs. 
and we go home. God is actually looking and interested in a church filled with disciples. Because disciples actually have a commission. They have a mandate. They have a mission. They are, in actual fact, a spiritual army. And the word over Johannes is always a commander of an army. So Johannes is not just a pastor. Johannes is an apostle with a mandate to lead a spiritual army. Okay? So it also soldate. Who remembers the soldaiki song that you used to sing in Sonach school? Well, there's actually a lot of truth in that. Okay, we are soldaikis. And, you know, the Bible speaks about the ministry of reconciliation. I think on our first day, and you'll hear if you follow all of our services, all of the hundreds we've had since February, we always come up with the same message, I feel like. Because God is speaking to us about the ministry of reconciliation. That's the mission of the global church. I mean, do we all agree that that's why we are here? We are here, every ministry, every church, every Christian, every disciple of Jesus has the ministry of reconciliation. That means we are called to reconcile people with a loving Father in heaven. That's what Jesus came to do, and we are supposed to fulfill that same mission. I mean, but now I'm going ahead of myself. So I really just want to speak on the Great Commission this morning. And I've called it our Great Commission because it's not just me and Johannes's Great Commission. It's not just, you know, Reinhard Bonke who just passed away, that great evangelist. It wasn't just his Great Commission. It's all of us. If we are a follower of Jesus Christ, it's our Great Commission. We need to take ownership of that. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And I'm going to do a series of two weeks because I asked Johannes, I said, please, I cannot do this in 50 minutes. I need two Sundays to really give. Actually, we can talk about this all year. We can talk about it every week. But I really want to talk today in part one. I want to talk about, if you want a subtitle, Becoming Kingdom Disciples. And next week, we are going to talk about making kingdom disciples. Amen. So this morning, our Great Commission, Becoming Kingdom Disciples. Now we're going to look at that scripture that you highlighted, Matthew 28. If you've got your Bible, you can turn to Matthew 28, verse 16. And we're going to camp for the majority of this morning in this scripture. Okay, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed and made appointment with them. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they fell down and worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus approached and breaking the silence, said to them, all authority, all power of rule in heaven and on the earth has been given to me. Go then and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. Everyone say everything. Everything that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, to the very close and consummation of the age. Amen. So let it be. Love the Amplified. So that is, that is a hectic few verses. 
Because what is happening here, basically, if you read through the, we always say in our, in our, in our cell group with our team, when we talk about scripture and when we study the Bible, we always say scripture interprets scripture. In other words, if I want to understand the passage that I'm reading right now, it would probably be a good idea to go and read what was said before this, what happened before, and what happened after. Okay, that's what we call when we, when we read the Bible in context. It's very important when we start to um, interpret Scripture. Amen. So, Jesus was just crucified to die for the sins of the world. All right, so he came to restore fellowship with the Father. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin came into the world. And the Bible actually said that um, the, the wages of sin is death, spiritual death. So through the sin of Adam and Eve from which all of us were born, sin had separated us from the Father. We had a spiritual separation from the Father. And because sin had to have a, a penalty of death, someone had to pay that penalty. And that's, as Johannes read earlier, that's the beauty of where Jesus came in. And God so loved the world in their sin, in their rebellion and disobedience, that he said, I will send my son so that you don't have to. Now we get to receive all of that which Jesus had done for us. So Jesus was crucified. And then he was resurrected, which was the prophetic word that he gave that was what has been prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. And now he told his disciples, because he walked a journey with them for three years, where he taught them. He taught them about his kingdom. He taught them about the Father. He taught them about his authority and how they now can go out and operate in that same authority. He was training them for the work of the ministry of reconciliation once he goes back to the Father. Amen. Are you still following with me? So Jesus, at this point, has just been resurrected, and he just appeared to Mary Magdalene at the tomb and another Mary, and they were like, oh my gosh, Jesus is actually alive. Okay, after three days, he rose from the dead. So just imagine with me the state of emotions of these disciples right now. Jesus did say that he was going to be resurrected. But it's one thing for Jesus to give a word, and it's another thing for that word to come into fulfillment. And you see it right in front of you. He's stone, I know. And you are like, oh my goodness, what just happened? And Jesus said to the girls, go and tell the others to meet me in Galilee. That's what he said to them. But now he's appeared to them, a couple of them, on the way to Galilee. But now we pick up the story in Matthew 28, verse 16. And Jesus calls a public meeting. He calls them all to this meeting and he says, meet me at the mountain at Galilee. And he gives them a commission. Now, what is a commission? You know, I like definitions. Okay, a commission is an instruction, a command, or a role given to a group or a group of, or a person or a group of people. A group of people entrusted by an official body with authority to do something. Okay? To order or to authorize the production of something. So Jesus came, he called this public meeting, public gathering, and he said, I have got a commission, a command, an instruction to give to you. This was not the last words, but this was the last command that Jesus gave his disciples before he went back to the Father. So in my mind, I think it's quite important. <laughs> I want to take notice of Jesus' last words before he went, because this was his last instruction. He gave a command. And... So 
it says that he went, he said to them, because remember, Jesus was crucified where? In Jerusalem. And he said to them, go and meet me in Galilee. And I thought, okay, why does Jesus want to call them to Galilee? Because I Googled, and according to Google, it's 126 kilometers away from Jerusalem. Why would Jesus call? I mean, they've just seen him. He's clearly got limited time. He's going to heaven. Everyone wants to catch a last glimpse of him before he goes. Why would he call them to travel? I don't know how many days it probably took them to get to Galilee, to that place. And I wonder, maybe you have another reason, but I wonder, remember in Jerusalem, this was really a place of persecution for any follower of Jesus. So even the ones of the disciples who walked behind Jesus all the way as he was carrying his own cross to the place where he was crucified, it was not safe for them to be seen or recognized as a follower of Jesus Christ. So these guys were being persecuted. I mean, Peter denied him three times just so people wouldn't know that he was a follower of Jesus. And so I believe Jesus actually called them to this place, out of this place of persecution, because maybe it was safer for them to congregate. He was going to appear on a mountain. <laughs> it was kind of going to be visible. And so now these people are running. I mean, if I heard that Jesus was just resurrected and he's going to be on the mountain of Galilee, I don't know, but I would run 126 kilometers to get to Jesus to see him one last time. So this is where people are at, just to give you some context. And it said that he directed them to go to the mountain. It wasn't a suggestion. It was like, I'm going to be there. You better be there. Okay, so I love how these disciples obeyed Jesus when he gave a command. So he meets them on the, on the mountain. And it's interesting because... I, I was like, Lord, who was actually at this meeting? Because sometimes you'll hear people interpret scripture like this great commission and say, oh, it was only for the disciples of that time. Well, I got a revelation that it wasn't. Because in verse, in verse 16, it says the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain. Okay, so we can agree there were already 11 people there. Amen. Then if you go study further, 1 Corinthians 15, 16 says that there were another 500 people who saw Jesus. It's not recorded in this scripture, but remember, we read scripture to interpret scripture. So in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that there were another 500 people who saw him. So now we've got probably, if the disciples was not included in the 500, 511 or 489. It doesn't matter. It's just a lot of people. Thirdly, go to verse 20 for me, please, Stefan. Verse 20 says, I am with you all the days on every occasion to the very close and consummation of the age. Well, clearly they are not going to be alive. When is the consummation of the end of the age? When is that? When Jesus comes back, we are still in the age. Amen. Would you agree? So if Jesus was telling them, I'm still going to be with you until the end of the age, why is that relevant to them? Because they will soon die. They are not going to live until Jesus comes back. So in other words, I believe you and I are part of this meeting at the mountain. Because we are still living in that very same age where Jesus said, I'm going to be with you. Does that make sense? So would you agree that you and I are part of this great commission then? 
this is still applicable. It wasn't just for the 11 disciples. We need to read deeper into what Scripture says. So I believe it was for all of us. And verse 17, there was a response to the risen Christ. It says that when they saw him, they fell down and they worshipped him. If you read further, when Mary, uh, the two Marys saw him at the grave in verse 7, I think, or verse 9, they had the same response. When they saw Jesus, they couldn't help but worship him. There is a response when we see the king, when we encounter the king. We worship. We cannot help but worship. I'm taking us through scripture by scripture because I think it's important. Now, verse 18. This is the fun part. It says, all authority, power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Has been given to whom? Jesus. All authority. In Afrikaans it says, alle gesag in die jimmel en op aarde has been given to Jesus Christ. Just think about that for a moment. All authority. All authority. Alle gesag. Okay, the Greek word for that authority is excusia. What does that mean? It's not referring to, a lot of people know the dunamis power, where we get the English word dynamite from. It's not referring to dunamis power, although we know that Jesus was operating in the dunamis power every day. But this authority refers to an authority that has been designated to him. It has been given and transferred to him for a purpose. By whom? By the Father. Amen? So, it's an official authority and a right to use the power that has been given. Who knows, you can have authority, or you can have power, sorry. But if you don't have the authority to use your power, you cannot use your power. So, Jesus is saying, the Father has given me all authority. Because remember, Jesus came as the Lamb, and He was slaughtered as the Lamb. And he obeyed the Father's commands. And he went through this whole crucifixion. He was raised up from the dead. And now God has ordained him as king. Now this kingdom that Jesus came to establish is coming into fulfillment because all authority has been given by the Father for Jesus to establish this kingdom. And now Jesus is saying, but my work on earth is done. Jesus came to establish his kingship, so he came to do all of, you know, the crucifixion and all of that. But he also spent three years training up 12 men and lots of other disciples, but particularly 12 that he pulled close as apostles, to train them to continue the mission once he goes back to the Father. Are you still with me? So now when Jesus got that authority, he's calling them to this mountain, and he wants to transfer that authority to say that now in my authority, you go and complete the mission. You 11, you 500, and you until the end of the age. You disciples, you people who have decided to follow me. You now go and fulfill the Great Commission. Amen. Someone is excited. Okay. So, Jesus gives us this authority. And I remember, just to explain the concept of authority, I remember I used to work in the United States for a theme park. You know, they're big on theme parks, roller coaster rides and water parks and all these things. And I went with a group of South Africans, but I was the oldest because I was looking for adventure. I was still looking for Jesus. And I was the oldest in the group. I was the only one with corporate experience. 
And everyone else got trained as lifeguards. And they had to wear Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck costumes. And they got paid like $5 an hour. And somehow they called me out and they said, well, we see on your CV you've got uh, public relations administration experience. So we want to upgrade you to the office for an office job. And I would get paid doubled what all the other South Africans would get paid. And I thought, this, this, is, this is amazing. And so I got there, and I was the only one working in office clothing while everyone else was like sweating in their Michael, Mickey Mouse outfits. And um, I got to work in the office, and I got an access card from my director that would give me access to every single area in the park where none of the other South Africans could go. This didn't really mean anything unless you had the card and you could go everywhere. I had my own golf cart and I had my own walkie-talkie. That's a big deal. <laughs> so I had authority based on my director's authority because of his name. I was able to use his authority and go everywhere, have access to everything. I even had access to the fridge with the Coca-Colas. Every day, lunchtime, Americans, they have Coca-Cola three times a day. I mean, it was heaven. But the point is this, because of his authority and his name, I had access to everything else. And people looked at me as though I was him because I had his authority card. And that is essentially what Jesus is telling us. When you go and minister, when you go out in this great commission, you are going under my authority because my authority is the highest authority. Okay, so there was an authority transfer that Jesus made. And then he said, Verse 19, go therefore. Whenever we read the word therefore, it means something went before. Why is he using the word therefore? In other words, I have the authority from the previous verse. Now, because, of I, because I have the authority, now I must go. I can't sit on the authority. When I just sit with my little access card, if I don't go anywhere, I'm not going to be able to use it. I won't get access to what I need access to. And so Jesus says, go, therefore. And that Greek word, sometimes people use the scripture and they think, oh, it's really just for missionaries. You know, we, we love using this scripture for missionaries. Someone who's called for, you know, the Middle East, you know, that country where, you know, the Christians are persecuted far away. You know, it's only for those crazy people who go from Cape Town to Vintuk. It's only for them. But actually, when you look at the Greek verbiage used and the verbs that they used, go actually also is translated as going. In other words, this is not just a commission for missionaries to go to some foreign country and go and make disciples of those nations out there. It also means for you and me in our daily lives, as we are going about daily life, as we go out of our homes to our workplaces, as we go out into our schools, as we go out into our communities, as we go to the grove. This is part of our commission as well. So it's not just go for missionaries. And that go and make disciples in the Greek is actually a very stern command writing. It's a direct command. It's not the great suggestion it's not, you know, if you feel like it. It's a command. The king has spoken. And this morning in worship, I just felt like the king of Judah is how Jesus wants to reveal himself today. He is the king. He is not the lamb anymore. Yes, he was slaughtered and he's got the meekness and the humbleness 
of a lamb, but he's also the king of Judah with power and strength and rule. And he's the king of kings and he gives a command and he expects us to follow. And so it says, make disciples of all nations. Now, this is the point I want to get to. What is a disciple? Is there a difference between a believer and a disciple? Does it, it could be a trick question or not. Do you think there's a difference? Okay, then I'm not far off on my message. I just wanted to check. But that word disciple that is used in that scripture is actually the Greek word, and this is all in you version. If those of you who like to take notes, it's always a good idea. Disciples take notes. <laughs> in Greek, it's matetio. I don't know if that's pronounced correctly, matetio. And that actually means someone who follows instructions. Ne? Someone who follows instructions, a learner or a pupil, someone who teaches and instructs. The best word scholars can describe it in our English language, in our understanding, is the word apprentice. Whoever watched Donald Trump's apprentice show? Okay? Those of us who did our internship, it's like the equivalent of an internship. The Jewish rabbis used to, in, the, in biblical times, the way that they trained up disciples is they would literally go and get young men to come and apprentice with them. They would come and learn from them as disciples. Not once a week on a Sunday. They're far off. I might know your name. I might not. No, no, no. They would go and live in their homes. Imagine. Johannes and I had 12 disciples in our house. They would come and live with the rabbis to watch them, to observe them, to see how they treated family, to see how they learned and applied the scriptures in their life. It wasn't just enough to be a disciple and go and listen to a teaching. They had to learn and watch and observe the rabbis as they put it into practice. Talk about accountability and talk about vulnerability. <laughs> There's no way out once you live with your teacher. You know, and also for the teacher. Now I have to really put the teachings that I teach into practice because who knows you can teach something and not practice it. And so that is the biblical definition of a disciple. It's someone who actually attaches themselves to the teacher and grows with the aim. Because why did the Jewish rabbis do that? Because the aim was for these disciples to become the next generation of rabbis, to teach the next generation. That's how the Bible was taught, or the, the Old Testament in those days were taught. That's how it was passed along to the next generation. So I have to attach myself to the teacher, learn from them, observe from them, do life with them more than once a week, because that's not life. Sunday morning is not life. There's seven days in a week. Amen? And so Jesus did, did, with, did this with these 12 men. For three years, they walked with Jesus every day, watching him, learning from him. And there were days that they failed. And Jesus encouraged them again. There were days that Jesus rebuked them. There were days where Jesus instructed them. Days where he said, okay, watch me do this. Now you do it. And I'll help you. That's that process of apprenticeship, of discipleship. It's learning. It's growing. And it's a process. I don't just arrive. Yes, I'm in the kingdom. And now I'm like Jesus. <laughs> I think all of us will agree. It's a process. Discipleship is a process. 
a true disciple puts into practice and they eventually leave the classroom to go and teach others. And that is what the Great Commission is all about. And we see in verse 19, there's three, the scholars call it participles. So the command was go and make disciples. And then there were three participles, specific things that he instructed them on how to do this commission. Okay, the first one was to go. We spoke about that. So to go means, it means there's a little bit of effort. I have to actually do something. I have to actually get up out of my seat and do something and go somewhere. It's going to cost me something. The second one is, it says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word for baptize is baptizo, which, you know, when we teach about baptism, it means that baptizo means a full immersion under the water, and then you come up out of the water. But what Jesus is, it's also talking about that, but what it also refers to is when I become a follower and a disciple of Jesus, it means that I am fully immersing myself by letting go of my old life, because that's the symbolicness or the, the symbol of baptism, amen? I am leaving behind my old life, and I'm being raised to new life with Christ. So, when I make disciples, when I go out and plant churches, I can't just tell people how they can get saved. I also have to teach them to leave behind the old life and be raised to life in a new life. When you are a disciple of Jesus, you get a new life. It doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect tomorrow, but it means I'm progressing, I'm moving forward in a new life with Jesus. That's what it means. And it also gives us an identification of the Trinity. What is the Trinity? The Trinity speaks of the three Godhead. So in other words, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, the Bible never uses the word Trinity. Did you know that? Nowhere in Scripture does the Bible use the word Trinity. It's just a term, a term that scholars gave so we can understand the dynamics of our God, that He is representative of God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. So, when we are baptized in our old life and we are being raised in our new life, we are identifying with all three parts of our God, all three persons of God. Are you still following? And number three was to teach. We are to teach people all that Jesus has commanded. That's what we are here for. That, that is, a disciple must listen to teaching in order to grow. Amen? Okay. It's almost no right. I want to read you one more scripture that also speaks, and there's many of them, but this is something that, this was one of our favorite scriptures at Leven of Word Cop that we used for all of our missions and all of our training. But what I've come to realize is that this should be normal life for us as Christians. And that's the vision that God has given me in Johannes. And the vision hasn't changed for 2,000 years. We don't have a new vision, a new mission. This is it, Mark 16 and Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach and publish openly the good news, the gospel, to every creature of the whole human race. And he who believes 
who adheres to and trusts in and relies on the gospel. And him whom it sets forth and is baptized will be saved from the penalty of eternal death. But he who does not believe, who does not adhere to and trust in and rely on the gospel, and him whom it sets forth will be condemned. And these attesting signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons. They will speak in new languages. They will pick up serpents, and even if they drink anything deadly, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will get well. And then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And they, who are they? The disciples went out, preached everywhere, while the Lord kept working with them. Didn't he promise he will be with us? The Lord kept working with them, confirming the message by the attesting signs and miracles that closely accompanied it. Amen. So be it. Then in Luke 24, he also appeared again to his disciples. And he told them to go and proclaim the message of the gospel to all nations. So there it is again. Acts 1 verse 8. He said to them, wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit before you go on this mission. So he again confirms the mission. Again in John 20, Johannes read this last week. And John 20 is actually our reading for today in our fast. It says that Jesus had his disciples together and he breathed on them to say, receive the Holy Spirit. So again, he confirms the mission. And so what I want to get to this morning is we can clearly see that there is a mission. Amen. Do we agree that there is a command that includes all of us? All of us who have said, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. Yes, Jesus, I want to become a disciple. And I believe that, you know, our vision here is to establish a loving Bible-based kingdom community. But our mission is to become doers of the word. And I realized, you know, this was not our vision that we made up. This was Neville and Tanirina's vision when they started Living Word 34 years ago. But I realized that this vision came straight from Scripture. Because that is what disciples is. Disciples under the King of Jesus Christ are a kingdom community. And disciples do what they learned the word in the Word to do. So in other words, they are doers of the Word. So I realized that our vision actually came from the Great Commission. So it's nothing new. It's the same thing for 2,000 years. But I believe somewhere along the line, church has become influenced by a spirit of religion. Where it was just okay for followers of Jesus to just come to church on a Sunday morning. And that was the sum total of my Christianity. That was the box that I ticked once a week because it would make me feel better. And I know because I grew up in a religious church. I thought that was what Christianity was all about. And the more that I dig into Scripture and the more in this role, we are like looking to the Lord. Okay, Lord, what do you want us to do next? Okay, you know, what are we doing? Give us instruction. I realized, but he's already given us the instruction. It's to become disciples and then to make disciples. It's like Jesus is the master key. You know, when you have a master key and you go and make copies, duplicates of the key. Through disciples, Jesus is duplicating himself on earth. 
But many of his duplicates have decided that they never want to enter into the lock of a door to fulfill their function. It's just a key that lies somewhere on a kitchen counter. A key has a purpose. And God has called us to be disciples. He's not called us to attend church. He's called us to be the church. And hear my heart in this. Okay, I'm not one of those people that this is the Sunday service. I'm the most passionate about Sunday services. Okay, I love church. I love gathering because there is, I believe there is significant power for the church when we gather together as disciples, not only to worship Him corporately, not only to minister to one another, encourage one another with our spiritual gifts, but also to experience His presence together, to be strengthened so that we can be the church out there. If we cannot come here when we feel broken and when we feel empty, where else can we get filled up so that we can go pour out again? That is the purpose of this. So this is very necessary, but some Christians stop just in this place. We are not called to get input with no output. Amen? And we really believe God has called us. Living Word has always been a church on mission. So it's a church that will challenge you with Scripture. It's a church that will challenge us to get off the seat and do something. Yes, there are seasons where we need to really let the Lord heal and let the Lord restore. But then we go out. Amen? Come in, gaan uit. Come in, gaan uit. When you have a river and the water doesn't flow, it ends up rotting. There needs to be a flow in and out, in and out. Become a disciple, make a disciple. Train a disciple to train another disciple. We're also not just called to just raise up disciples. We must raise up disciple makers. Amen? Is you encouraged, are you? Or is it a bit challenging? I've got four points that I want to end off with. And I was like, Lord, show us what is the difference between a believer. I mean, we are all, all disciples should be believers. I think that's important. There's like Gandhi who wasn't a believer. He followed the teachings of Jesus, but he never believed that he was the son of God. So you, you, you can follow the teachings, but not have eternal life. God is calling us to believe and be a disciple. A believing disciple. Let's call it that. So what is the difference between a believer and a disciple? And in this time that we were in the book of John in the last 21 days, I really was encouraged by listening and reading what Jesus was speaking. And Jesus spoke a lot of direct statements with profound impact. Number one, I believe a disciple of Jesus first has to count the cost of following Jesus. And I think this is a hectic one because let's read Luke 9, 23. And this is Jesus speaking. And he said to all the people that were following him on this day, he said, if any person wills to come after me, let him deny himself, disown himself, forget, lose sight of himself and his own interests, refuse and give up on himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living, and if need be, 
in dying also. Many of the disciples lost their lives because of persecution. And you can speak to Jock here, who works with a lot of the persecuted church. I had the privilege of working for a ministry where we also worked with a lot of people in Africa, not just even Middle East, in Africa, where people are being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ, where people had to give up family, where their own families, you know, people who have converted, especially from Muslim type of faith, where they had to literally leave their families behind because their families were trying to kill them because they denied their faith and they followed Jesus. They would contact us for resources. They would move to different countries, sneak out of countries. Not all of us may be called to martyrdom, but you can be guaranteed that you will be persecuted in some way because the way of the kingdom is opposite to the way of the world. When I decided to follow Jesus, I lost 95% of my friends. I think I had one friend who said, yes, I'll go with you to church. Because I couldn't go to the brides anymore. I couldn't do the smoking, drinking thing with them anymore. I couldn't swear and talk negatively about the government around the bride's fear anymore. Because Jesus convicted me that that's not my way anymore. I must now follow his way. When we follow Jesus, it's not just accepting faith in Jesus. It means I have to follow his path. There must be a change of life. It doesn't look like that for everyone. Maybe you grew up in an amazing Christian family and all your family are beautiful Christian disciples. But for most of us, it doesn't look like that. So when you are called out to follow Jesus, there is a cost. Sometimes it will cost us money. Sometimes it will cost us comfort. Sometimes it will cost us family. Amen. I know this is not exciting. Woohoo message. But Jesus is calling us higher in this season, church. If we want to live the life that he has for us, if we want to operate like those disciples, see signs, wonders, and miracles, see the harvest of billion souls come into the kingdom, if we want to see Jesus, we have to follow Jesus. Amen. A superficial Christian life just won't cut it. And I know I'm preaching to the converted this morning, so I'm just encouraging us again on this. Yes, there is a cost, but the prize is so much bigger. Can Jesus be first in every area of my life? Because when I'm a disciple, it means that his rule of his kingdom must rule every area of my life. Now, I'm not saying we are going to all arrive there tomorrow <laughs> again. Discipleship is a process. It's a journey that I'm walking on, that I'm fellowshipping with one another. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. We learn from one another. We rub each other to become better, to go further, to let go of this old thing that's, you know, holding us back into 2021, into all that God has got for us. But is he Lord over my finances? Is he Lord in my marriage? Is he Lord in my family relationships? Is he Lord in my business? That's what it means to be a disciple. So number one, a disciple of Jesus first counts the cost. Number two, a disciple of Jesus listens and implements 
his teachings. John 8 verse 31 says this. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Who knows that scripture? Everyone knows that, right? That's what we use for liberating the human spirit. Know the truth. The truth will set you free. But scripture interprets scripture. What does the scripture before that say? If you remain faithful to my teachings, then truth will set you free. We can hear the word of God and never receive freedom because we don't implement it. Where Sam shared her testimony earlier, it's so great for her. She had heard about God healing, but only until she stepped out and prayed for someone could she see the word come alive. And she is now in a place of freedom where she has more boldness to go and pray for the next sick person, to be a disciple in action, to demonstrate the kingdom of God to people. And that's why I want to encourage us. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to the word of God. We must do what it says. Otherwise, we are only fooling ourselves, says the Bible. So I want to encourage us, in season and out of season, let's be disciples of the word. Let's follow his teachings faithfully. That's why liberating the human spirit is one tool of discipleship. That's not necessarily going to change your life, and after eight weeks, you are going to be the perfect disciple. No, but it's going to expose you to truth in God's word that will change thinking, that will change old mindset patterns, that will break through, free certain things that maybe we cannot go into 2021 with those old weights of 2020. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go into 2021 with the baggage of 2020. Hallelujah. I want to leave that swartzak in 2020. But it's going to take something from us. Jesus doesn't just wave a magic wand at us. He says, follow me and pay the price. But it is worth the price. And he says that he won't leave us alone. He's given us his Holy Spirit. We are never alone in this. So it's not in our own strength. It's in his strength. I mean, so come and do the course. <laughs> okay. Number three, a disciple of Jesus bears spiritual fruit. John 15, verse 8, we read it this week. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. What fruit is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Again, this is something that Holy Spirit produces in us. If you want to take notes, Galatians 5, verse 23 22 to 23, describes the spiritual fruit. Amen? He wants us to bear fruit. Because when we go out into the world, the world doesn't want to taste unforgiveness. They don't want to taste bitterness. They don't want to taste anger. The world is looking for peace. They're looking for joy. They're looking for love. And I think there are way too many Christians walking around bitter, full of hatred and unforgiveness. And it's like the fig tree we were sharing with our team this morning. Jesus went up to the fig tree. He was hungry. He was expecting fruit. And he didn't bear fruit, and he cursed the fig tree. He wants to produce fruit in us. But we've got to attach ourselves to the vine. Johanna spoke about it last week. We have to be immersed in Jesus. We have to follow Jesus. We have to go and live with him. Amen. 
Number four, a disciple of Jesus imitates Christ and makes more disciples. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, Paul says to the Corinthian church, you should imitate me as I imitate Christ. He was making disciples and he was telling them, imitate me because I'm imitating Christ. Do we have perfect leaders? Hallelujah, no. But all disciples make a decision to follow Jesus and to at least make the decision to follow in his footsteps, to plant themselves in a church where they can hear scripture being taught, where they can be part of the family, where they can have fellowship and they can become like one another. We can be iron sharpening iron. We can learn from one another. Talitha has great strengths that I don't have. I can learn from her. She can encourage me. We can build one another up. That's the aim of church. It's not an activity we attend. It's who we are. Amen. I want to ask us this morning as I just bring it to a close. What does our lives look like this morning? Where do we see ourselves in this journey? Are we on the discipleship journey? Or are we just in a place where we've just believed? And it's okay where you are. Jesus is just giving an opportunity to take the next step. And so I want to ask us this morning, are you planted in the church? What does planted mean? It means, am I committed? Have I decided where am I going to be committed? Where am I going to plant myself so that I can grow? If I'm a plant and I'm not planted in soil, who knows I'm not going to grow. We have to be planted somewhere. And you can be discipled on the internet. That's great. But Jesus walked with his disciples day in and day out. They lived together. There was a relationship. It was two-way. Don't hear me wrong. I listen to a lot of teachings online. But I want to understand. I want to Mark that fast in your heart for ochend. Nee? Discipleship requires two-way relationship. It means that we do life together. It means that when it's your birthday, I'm over at your house. It means Friday night, we bry at our house. It means whatever, we go cycling together. We go and watch your child's rugby match together. Whatever that looks like in your going, in your everyday Johannes challenged our team last week and he said, guys, I want us to adopt our neighborhoods. Because really, we can play church on Sundays and ask everyone to come to our service, but where are we Monday to Saturday when people need the love of Christ? When they need the church to be the church. And Johannes and I are convicted by this. Like we sat the other day and we realized we've been living here for a year and we've not once connected with our neighbors, except a passing hello. How are you? We don't know what's happening in their lives. We don't know if they're serving the Lord. We don't know if there's anything going on in their life where they need Jesus. Amen. 
Am I planted in a local church? Have I signed up for teaching for the word? <laughs> so a plug for liberating the human spirit. But you hear my heart. Am I in a place where I'm doing Bible study with other believers, where we are growing in the word, where we are challenging one another, where we are being sharpened? Do I know the person next to me sitting in church? Do I know their name? Gelukkig. But you know what I mean? Last week when Johannes, was it last week or the week before, Johannes did communion. And he got people to sit together in groups. And those people who came alone met new people in church because they weren't necessarily staying after the service to get to know one another. And I think what has become of this world, and listen, Johannes and I are introverts, believe it or not. I love recharging by myself. You can leave me for two weeks alone and I will be totally fine. Yes. No. <laughs> when you step out in the anointing, it's different than when you're at home alone. <laughs> but I'm finding God is constantly, we talk about this often, He's constantly challenging us. We are constantly inviting people to our home. Not just because we want to build a church <laughs> and no one else invites us for bribes. Grappie. <laughs> but because God is calling us to fellowship, He's calling us to community. Do we stay afterwards for a cup of coffee to just mingle and get to know one another? Or do we rush home? And this is not to point fingers at anyone. I really believe this is God encouraging us. Guys, I've got something deeper and bigger for you. I'm trying to build a kingdom community so that you can go out into the world and bring the kingdom so we can see Namibia transformed for the kingdom of God. But it's not going to be transformed by some intercession group somewhere in someone's home. Prayer is important. But it's going to start with you and me stepping outside of our comfort zones, getting off the chair. Into the messiness of discipleship. It's messy. Our lives are messy. But Jesus is not scared of that. And we shouldn't be either. None of us are perfect. Trust me, if you're going to move closer to me and Johannes, you're going to see. Ach, you know. We all need Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 29, anyone who gave up family, property, anything for my name's sake will be rewarded a hundred times more plus eternal life. Plus eternal life. This is a dress rehearsal for eternity. This is not life as it is. This is a dress rehearsal. And God is calling us deeper, church. He's calling us deeper. Will we count the cost this morning? Our vision is to be a missional community, to go out to the highways and the byways and the streets. And sometimes we'll talk about it next week. How do we make disciples? But this week, I just want to focus on where am I in my discipleship journey? Have I insulated myself? Maybe I come to church, but I have no fellowship. I'm not part of the community. Part of the community means I show up. I'm there. I'm there even if it costs me. Through whatever seasons. We all go through seasons. But I want to encourage us. Let's be real church. The world is not looking for fake church anymore. 
They're looking for God. They're looking for Jesus. They're looking for the Lion of Judah. They're looking for the truth that we preach, but they don't see it. And I really believe with all of my heart, God has called us to be, I cannot answer for every other church, but I know that God has called us where he's given us this mandate. We are going to be a church that are going to represent Jesus. Are we going to be perfect? Definitely not. But we are going to try in the name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are going to step out and find out. Even if we make our name Krater, we are going to step out. We are going to try. They say, I'm so proud of you. She stepped out. She's like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to take a step of faith and I'm going to try. And that's the heart that God is looking for. God is not looking. None of his disciples were perfect theologians. None of them had theologic education. Okay. None of them were polished, rounded up, businessmen, suit and ties. They were rough around the edges, fishermen. But when Jesus said, come and follow me, they left everything and they said, yes, Jesus. I don't know where you're going, but I'm going to see and I'm going to come. Why don't you close your eyes this morning and I just want to pray for two groups of people. Number one, I want to ask this morning, if there's anyone in this room and you feel, man, I have questions. As we read in Matthew 28, Jesus prayed or Jesus shared the Great Commission and there was some people who worshipped him when they saw him and there were other people who doubted. And I want to say this morning, if you have any questions, it's okay. It's okay to doubt. Jesus didn't call them out of the crowd. He just revealed himself to them even more. And I want to ask if there's anyone in this room and you've actually never made a decision to follow Jesus, to give your heart to him, to be born again into the kingdom of God, you've never given your heart to the Lord, then I want you to just gently raise your hand so we can pray with you. If there's anyone here, you've never made the decision to actually follow Christ, to make him Lord over every area of your life. Awesome. The second group of people, and I want you to just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit this morning. If you are sitting here and, and maybe you are feeling like, yes, I've believed Jesus. I've made a decision to follow him, but maybe I haven't stepped into a proper process of discipleship. I have insulated myself from community. Maybe I've been hurt in the church. Maybe I've been hurt by people, other people who claim to have been disciples. And you feel like God is saying, I need you to step out of the chair. Figuratively, but also physically. If that is you, I want you to just stand. It's going to take boldness. It's going to take courage. And I'm, I'm just going to pray for you. We're not going to do anything else. We're just going to pray for you this morning. If you feel like God is taking you deeper, and I'm standing this morning, because I know God is calling me deeper. He's calling me deeper as a disciple. He's calling me to follow the teachings, to be planted in fellowship, and to go deeper with him, to seek his truth. Because he wants to equip you with the power of his Holy Spirit. And I'm going to pray for us this morning. If you want to have the life that Jesus died for you to have, 
just stand this morning. If you want to walk forward as a disciple of Christ, and you are ready to do whatever He asks of you, ready to obey whatever He asks, ready to leave comfort, ready to leave whatever it is that He puts in front of us, then I want to pray with us this morning. Why don't you just raise your hands to heaven? Father, I want to thank you for every person in this room, Lord, who have made a decision this morning, Lord, to say, I am ready to follow in your footsteps, Jesus, with everything that I have, to be a disciple of Christ, to leave behind the world and to follow you with everything, because you, Jesus, are enough for me. Just stay in his presence for a moment. I know we're going on a little bit longer, but God wants to do something. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will just move among your people right now in Jesus' name. Just touch them now, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Move in this place. Lord, touch every one of your disciples in Jesus' name. Those of you who can pray in, in your Holy Spirit language, why don't you just pray? Thank you, Jesus. Move, Holy Spirit. Move in this place, Jesus. 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 Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Touch your children right now. Release your power from heaven this morning, Lord, on your children. You said in Matthew 28, Lord, that you will not leave us, you will not forsake us. You are with us until the end of the age. You are with us until the end of the age. Release your spirit. Why don't you just pray after me? Lord Jesus, I want to follow you everywhere you lead. I believe in you. I believe in your resurrection. I believe you are the king, and all authority belongs to you. I receive your authority, and I ask that you baptize me this morning with your Holy Spirit and with fire. In Jesus' name.